We're almost there, you guys. 300 episodes. And to celebrate, on November 6th, I'm doing a big, big panel here in Los Angeles at Largo at the Coronet. Uh, Again, November 6th, Carlton Cuse, Mike Shore, Damon Lindelof, Marta Kaufman, Hart Hansen, Jane Esmondson, Doug Petrie, David Fury, Liz Tiglar, Bridget Carpenter, Andrew Miller, and more. So many people, uh, there are not enough chairs at Largo. So I have to go out and rent them. So please come. Come celebrate 300 episodes of the Writers Panel with me, with these old pals. Some new pals will be there. Uh, That is on November 6th. Before that, I have a couple of events coming in October. Uh, On October 14th and 15th, I'll be at NerdCon Stories 2016 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, doing a bunch of different things. Click on my face on their website, and uh, you'll find out the things I'm doing. But there's... Acker and I are doing a little chat, Uh, I'm on a panel about adaptation, and I'm doing a big live writer's panel with John Green, who wrote The Fault in Our Stars, and uh, a bunch of other really great books. I'm I'm a longtime fan of his. On Sunday, October 30th, I'll be at EW Pop Fest, that's Entertainment Weekly's Pop Fest in Los Angeles, which has an insane lineup, and I can't believe they invited me to be part of it. I'm going to be doing a live panel with a very special guest that I will announce soon. Uh, Check that out. And then, as I said, November 6th is the writer's panel live at Largo at the Coronet 300th episode celebration. All of the information for all of these can be found at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And follow me on Twitter. I'll be talking about them uh, as we get close to them and as they happen. Uh, That's at Ben Blacker on Twitter. Hope to see you at one of these, or all of these, live events. Now entering Nerdist.com Welcome to the Writers' Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner, Ben Acker, for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Like the color, only more so. Uh, And follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh, yeah! This is it. We have the creators and stars of Those Who Can't, which is on True TV. The new season, the second season, mm-hmm. begins October Six. Six, yes. Um, guys, why don't you introduce yourselves so people can hear what your voices sound like? Sure. I'm Adam Caton Holland. My name's Ben Roy. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. Thank you guys for being here. Hey, um, thanks for having us. Tell me about the show. So, this is the unlikeliest story. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> you yes, guys were a sketch group is that true yeah i mean i'll just give you the bullet point story i, I know you've told it well it, it, but it's such a great tale um <laughs> i feel like i mean i feel like it could it is potentially instructive to people who I are think, 
people are outside s- of Los Angeles. I think you're right. I think people are starting to see it that way. Uh, we're all stand-up comics. We started doing shows together because we like each other's senses of humor. Eventually, we started doing a web series called The Grolix, which was just kind of the behind-the-scenes of our show, The Grolix. Um, put that up on Funny or Die for free. We're filming it for free just on the weekends with our friends. And that got kind of popular, and people started asking us if we had any script ideas. So we uh, we we wrote a script called The Grolix. People were like, change the world to a different world. <laughs> so we changed it to us being teachers and called it Those Who Can't. Then Amazon bid on it. Amazon gave us 50000 bucks to make it in Denver just on a whim. It was one of the first six released by Amazon, and they had it out for a month. It tested really well. Amazon picked it up for like six more episodes. We wrote those. They dropped us. Cut to a year and a half later, True TV resurrected it because they were getting into comedy, and somebody at True is like, "Whatever happened to that those who can't thing on Amazon?" And that's that's the uh, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Let's <coughs> unpack that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I gotta go. My comedy meter's running. <laughs> yeah, he's got one of those fifteen minute meters. <laughs> First of all, you were all stand ups. Is that is that yeah. right? We all yep. started about the same time. We've Which been is about thirteen not years. Not a highly collaborative medium. No, definitely not. So how did you guys start? How did you come together and decide to actually make something and then decide what to I, make? How I, did how did sort of the working process present? Well, you I guys. Think it was the advent of that, of alternative comedy where comedians realized, like, oh, we can put on our own show. We're, we're not only at the uh, at, at the mercy of, of show promoters. We'll do our own show. And Adam and I and did a show at a dive bar in ben front of Kronberg. Adam's relatives and two <laughs> people who were having dinner and <laughs> were ambushed by our show. And then that just grew in like all these baby steps until we got a better venue and then more people would come and then and, and we'd add more comedians and mm-hmm. you know and so it sort of snowballed from there. But it was more of the show production. We 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 didn't really do. We would do like a news bit together stuff like that and. Yeah, it was it was more just the show production angle of it, and then we would do our independent stand up, just like we do now. If you come see us on on tour now, we'll do mm-hmm. independent stand up and like one sketch up front. Yeah, I think uh, we we started doing the stand up thing, and then I joined them a little bit later. They had already started the show, and then we were we were doing them in these kind of art spaces and just kind of warehouse districts of Denver. And uh, and then we moved to a theater and we needed some sort of a something else to keep drawing people <laughs> in. Right. I mean, the stand up was great and we would have guests, but we we wanted to add another component to sure. it. And so we started making sketches. And, and, and I think from an instructional standpoint, you were, you were saying people might kind of look to us for that. I, I know we had been making sketch videos just because we liked it. So we'd, we we don't, we do a little bit of live sketch on stage, but for the most part, it's videos that we were putting out. But we got wind of these uh, filmmaker brothers named the Nix brothers who wound up directing episodes of those who can't. Um, and they were just really talented filmmakers in Denver. And Denver's kind of a small city, although it's growing fast, where you could be like, hey, you're talented filmmakers and we're decent stand-up comedians. Let's like do something. And they had heard of us. So we st- by the time we started doing the Grolix web series, I-, I think the production value was like way higher than most. Yeah, they were amazing. Most, you know, shitty web I, series. Another thing that I think was helpful, <clears throat> since this is a writer's show now that I look back, is that we did write it even then when it was mm-hmm. just a yeah. group of friends goofing around. You know, shooting it on the weekends, we still wrote it, and you know, That's we had true. scripts, and we would send them, and we would give feedback on the scripts, even at that level. Um, 
and and I think that 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 was really helpful too. Because when you get together and, it's, and your goal is just like we'll just do something funny, turn on the camera, and something funny will happen. Yeah, maybe, but it's great to have a, a bunch of jokes packed, uh, yeah. which then frees you up to improvise even more. Because you're like, well, we already know that there's funny jokes in here, so and I just play around more. Yeah. yeah, and I think that happened when the Knicks Bros came in. We had we had been making. Uh, videos prior to partnering with these two guys um and we never had scripts i never wrote a script for any of the videos <laughs> that we did we may have written like an no you uh, did for the grolix web series no 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 no, no, no. Stuff before, before oh yeah before the, the next bros before yeah. any sketch stuff that we did with jim hickox or like other people in the group we would never i didn't I had never written. No, I think you're right because it wasn't from the very get go. Yeah. No. Prior to that point, we were kind of like doing it with comedy buddies who had cameras, sure. so it was way more informal. Yeah. But these guys were like filmmakers, <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, well, what do you want to shoot?" And we're like, uh, "Better write something <laughs> down." So that, I think you're right. I yeah. think they were just because they were professional and be like, "Yeah, we'd love to shoot something with you. What, what are we shooting? Where's the script?" Yeah. And we're like, "Ah, script, eh?" <laughs> uh, so, so then, how did you guys start to learn that? How did you start to put? words down in a shootable way. I, I read a book. I read the Gotham uh, Writer's Workshop book on screenwriting, which I still recommend to people. Great. Um, it's a great book. It was, it was, it was so helpful, uh, and it was fun to read, and um, I gobbled that up. There were some other books I read, too. I had, like, the elements of style of screenwriting, stuff like that, but, but that book was the number one book that really helped me go from just kind of, like, just writing overly long mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> needlessly detailed stuff and and that that was very helpful yeah, and then what, just doing it was the was sure. even better i was just gonna say like just like stand up there's people are always like how do you what do you do in stand up and we're always like get on stage and figure it out yourself that's what you do so i think we all kind of were just like well we, we, we're, we've never been scared of process so we just started writing and i'm sure the first scripts are not very good but we know to say Inside coffee shop dialogue, it's like not that hard. So I think we just all plunged right into it. I took a class uh, at a place called the Lighthouse um, Project in Denver, which was like a, there's a bunch of writers and everybody. They have this big, beautiful Victorian house, and you can sign up for different classes, whether it's mm-hmm. you know short stories or you know nonfiction writing or things like that and there was a a guy named David Mulholland who taught a class that was screenwriting and I just did it because simply because I didn't know how to format it on the page I I honestly didn't That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing what Final Cut Pro will do though. It's like yeah. honestly if you just get that program it's pretty much literally <laughs> yeah. writes itself. I can't imagine the the days of screenwriting on a typewriter. No. Like, I feel like oh, that's God. insane. <laughs> that's Barton Fink. That's, that's why he went crazy. That's insane. <laughs> All those tabs. Yeah. yeah. Just um, over tabbing. What was your? Let me just step back for a second. Sure. So each of you. What was your relationship to writing before that? I mean, stand up is one thing, and that's sort of a honed craft, mm-hmm. right? It's a honed routine mm-hmm. usually, um, and and there is room for improvisation. But what was your your relationship to writing? Well, I would even before I liked stand up comedy, I liked writing, um, just writing like fiction stories and. Um, just working on writing projects like outside of outside of comedy. So um, I would say that I, writing was my first love even before stand-up comedy. Um, and then they sort of inf- inform each other. Like, uh, like for instance, I, uh, there's this NaNoWriMo challenge. It's National Novel Writing Month in mm-hmm. November. You have to you have to write a fifty thousand word novel in the month of November, and it's really difficult to do because there, it's that's ridiculous. But it was such a great thing to do to learn that even when you 
aren't inspired, you have to write anyway. And so that has informed comedy where it's like, oh, I just don't feel like you know, working <laughs> on, on this. It's like, well, do it, and then who knows? Maybe it, you'll get one good... If you get one good joke out of it, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, I think I had always enjoyed reading. I, I didn't do well in high school. I, did, I, I didn't do well in English classes or writing classes. I did very well in creative writing classes, but I always had played in bands. And so mostly I wrote poetry and, and lyrics. That's I had, where I came to stand up from. I was playing music and my wife just happened to get a job at a comedy club. So um, my relationship to writing had always been in the form of, of just of just the service songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I can honestly say and I'm not this isn't self aggrandizing. I can't I have no way to quantify how many songs that I've written just from my teenage years sure. till now. And I found that just word pairing and and I always had personally a love of like odd word pairings and things that phonetically sound good together but may not make a lot of sense which is kind of my <laughs> mo with stand-up for i think sure. <laughs> uh so i just i think that that was for me was mine does that stuff did that stuff make its way into the Grolix material and into those who can't you know your take on writing oh music write? most certainly did i mean i but whenever uh, uh, people talk about this, my stand-up or if they see me in a band because I still play in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, I, I, t- I like stand on chairs or I just get very animated on stage. That's just because I had been playing in bands. That's just how you did it and how you got people's attention. And so I just translated that. And I think it translated into word choice for me personally. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing a bit, I'm, I don't improv I'm not good. I that freaks me <laughs> out, um, and I think we'll talk about that more. A writing process on the show, but it does go into the show mm-hmm. in that he has like this gift of phrase. So like we'll be writing something, and Ben, if Ben's not there, we'll just be like, well, Ben will have like a funny phrase for that. Mm-hmm. So we'll just like we'll get, we'll kind of mad libs a script because we know <laughs> that he'll come up with something great that we're we're just not going to get to. Hey, uh, what about you? Oh yeah, I've got. I always wrote. I was like. Mm-hmm. High school was like editor in chief of the newspaper. In college, I wrote like a satire newspaper, and then right when we started doing stand up, I got a writing job at for the Westward, which is like the L.A. Weekly. It's just the alt weekly in town. Mm-hmm. So I was a full time staff reporter for the first five years. I was doing stand up, so like writing was my day job. So I've, yeah, I've, I wanted to be a writer before. I never wanted to be a stand up comic. I always wanted. To, I always Adam's wanted to be a the actual writer. <laughs> in, in the like, group. Had, like the the formal experience. Yeah, and now I think I went to film school too, and was, mm. I wrote like a, a screenplay sure. for my thesis. So I've I've always been like, I, it's shocking to me that I ever got on stage because I was always wanted to be the guy behind the scenes. I want to writing, talk about writing, that. and and it occurred to me a moment ago. I mean, it sounds like you wound up accidentally in stand up. You wound up accidentally in stand up. Yours was on purpose. No, mine was also. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. It wasn't like a, a goal. It was kind of just like peer pressure more than anything <laughs> by like so. my roommates. Like none of us give it a try. Yeah. Stand-ups. Yeah, I always wanted to be a comic book artist or a, or yeah, like a novelist. That that was what I thought I would be. <laughs> it's funny that we're all finding out we all had these sort of like literary bents growing. It makes sense that we all like sure. found each other because we all have the work ethic of writers, I think. Do you have a, a similar... Oh, so none? No. <laughs> <laughs> How exactly. Can I get up? <laughs> it's dying. Functional oh. alcoholics? Oh, right. <laughs> Do you guys have a similar comedic sensibility? 
Uh, in some ways, sim- yes, some and in ways. some ways, no. You guys I think are our harsh. stand-up is... <laughs> no, I mean, no, I, I think, think stand-up-wise, where... Yeah, I don't... I think we share similar... I think we find the same comedians funny. I think we we agree on movies or television shows that we think are funny. But as far as our stand-up, I mean, I think we're all quite a bit different in the subject matter and how we approach it. Um, the The things that we choose to talk about, I know just ideologically and politically we're all extremely varied and i think that and in, you know informs the stuff that we write ben about is a trump voting yeah ben's really into trump dude I, I just ben, ben wrote ben sorry, wrote that skittles joke <laughs> sorry if i like a guy that shoots from the head yeah he does. all right <laughs> okay but yeah i think that i mean being three white dudes in a comedy group it's like oh an ice cream shop that just serves vanilla but we have <laughs> we do have our minor differences i think is what has given our group longevity and that when people come see it they're like oh I, they they do have three mm-hmm. distinct perspectives um I'm, i'd like to dig in on those perspectives a little bit and and can you tell me how they inform the show that we know well i think they 100 percent inform it because truthfully when we started doing the web series we all just started playing uh, we we've said this before like our worst uh, <laughs> versions of ourselves so we took our worst qualities amped them up and played those characters what are those for you I mean, uh, pretentiousness, uh, <laughs> condescension, and, and an odd little slice of broism. So, like, those three things are just like Lauren Payton, the character. <laughs> uh, Let's go around and do yeah, this. All right. Uh, I'm, an, I'm a paper tiger. Probably, I think, out of us, I'm the most emotionally... Uh, Damaged, damaged, and <laughs> yeah, I was searching for the right word. I'm emotionally damaged, and I tend to have an anger problem in one moment, and then I'm extremely self-preservationist in another. So a lot of times I'll believe in something until it affects me, and then and then I <laughs> I'll change my stance at my worst. I I think mm-hmm. you know for me. And I just play myself pretty much. <laughs> He's a full-fledged dipshit. <laughs> no, I think my, I do have, I'm a very gullible person and, and I'm pretty naive uh, in in real life. And I think that more than anything, that's what we ramped up with. Uh, I mean, we also lowered my IQ. Right. You can see Ben and me and our characters, but he's become the Homer Simpson. Just like how dumb can we take Farabelle? He's like too dumb now. And I think if we get a season three, I was, I was telling these guys, I think, I think my character should have spent the summer in some sort of aggressive, <laughs> aggressive <laughs> reading course program. or something because it's just too dumb. Like you, uh, uh, he gone a slippery to slope University. with a dumb character, and then pretty soon you're like, well, he's useless. Like he can't. <laughs> by the logic of the show, he now can't operate a car door. So you should have gone to Phoenix University, but you didn't know it was online, so you paid so much money to go to proper night school. I would just drive all day <laughs> from Denver to Phoenix, commuted. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh what was the comedy that you guys liked growing up? What what I love Steve Martin. I would have I remember listening to Steve Martin vinyl and um movies like The Jerk and Three Amigos, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, just a lot of Steve Martin stuff I can I can uh trace back. I loved Do you think there that is that DNA in your material? I think there's some in the Fairbell character, maybe not in my stand-up necessarily, at least not compared with Steve Martin's stand-up, but mm-hmm. I, there are definitely times where I'm like, oh, shit, that's kind of like a Dirty Rotten Scoundrels Ruprecht character, character that mm-hmm. I'd accidentally slipped into. It's more of an unconscious thing than like sure. than an intentional thing, but um, 
but not yeah i wouldn't say intentionally there is any dna of that in there mm-hmm. but i'm sure naturally there right. is. right it, it seeps in yeah for, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, what were you going to say? I was going to say, for me, it was 100% The Simpsons. Um, Seinfeld, to some extent, but I would go into high school in the morning and talk with my friends for 30 minutes about the two Simpsons that had been rerun the night before and, like, breaking down the jokes. And I think I, I, in the writer's room, I constantly am bringing up Simpsons crap. Um, I think it has bled into those who can't in that it's, like, very, very smart also very dumb and just really, really joke dense with lots of like Easter eggs, as we call them, little jokes to to be found later and uh, that reward repeated viewing type of thing. Yeah, that's probably my favorite style of comedy is the kind that and we'll do that in the writers room. We'll be like, yeah, no one will get that joke the first time they see it. But the second time they see it, it's going to be so funny, which is a weird way to write an episode. You're banking on people not only liking it the first time, but they're going to come back. And but we, I love shows. Like, I think it's so rewarding. Like a perfect example is Arrested Development. Right. Where which you is, can watch it in a, the third and fourth viewing. You'd be like, oh, I totally missed that joke. And a lot of our two people in our writers room are from Arrested Development. So they definitely show shared that sort of layered sure. joke density approach. But well, it what, sounds like you can get away with it, too, being so far from network TV. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not getting notes about, hit this harder, make this clearer, make this funny. They certainly don't hit, they certainly don't police the little jokes. Right. They, they, those aren't yeah. things that we get notes on at all. Yeah, it's more definitely more broad stroke stuff. But I think, uh, yeah, I think the joke, I mean, we're all fans of Arrested. I'm just from a writing standpoint, the three of us. And uh, I know personally myself growing up, I think, I don't know that I watched a ton of comedy. When I was a teenager, I watched Saturday Night Live. like, And I was a huge fan of, you know, Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry. Um, I think mostly I was kind of a kid of the 80s. I saw Police Academy movies or whatever. But my dad was like... Way into, I remember listening to like Victor Borga and Tom Lehrer albums. Really? I used to love Tom Lehrer. <laughs> and I still have, like, I've still memorized the Table of Contents song. I still have that memorized. I used to like memorize because I loved the fact that it was so complicated that he actually sat down and wrote that. <laughs> and I think the music part of it, the, the mixing of the two, and then I think. My dad had like a Bill Cosby album, and I remember I used to listen to those. I liked like I still do. My bits are really long because I tell a long story or whatever. It's like ten or twelve minutes long because that was what I thought comedy was. Mm-hmm. I just thought that you told stories. Um, so I think that for me, and I think that that definitely informs how we write our characters. You know? Yeah, but I think also all of us just consume comedy like well, i remember when we were writing this especially the first couple of scripts ben and i were watching party down all the time oh, and like obsessed with it um yeah i think we all take in a ton, oh, yeah, ton of comedy yeah um stand up movies television sure. we all consume it pretty pretty heavily that's great yeah that show was so fucking funny sorry I don't know. <laughs> it really was party down actually, was when we're so when we're good. writing when we're actually in a writing season i avoid watching comedy because it drives yeah. me insane because if jokes that's true if there's a joke that's even slightly similar to a joke that yeah. we're doing it drives me insane and i can't sleep <laughs> i'll be like they're gonna think that we stole that joke like that's the weirdest part is is the when you read reviews which i do and I shouldn't. Cool. But when you read, yes, it, he, reads yes all he does. He reads all. Of them. <laughs> when, uh, Sickening. Uh, when you, I, I always laugh because I'm like, I don't. 
I don't watch those shows. They think that we're that we may sure. seem like or whatever. It's interesting how there's this runaway theory that we all kind of arrive at the same place. I think a lot of times now, you know, if you have three guys and a girl, they obviously assume that you followed the Always Sunny, which I've seen format, literally one episode of, which mm-hmm. I don't watch. I've seen maybe a season of. I've seen all of it. Adam's seen all of them. And Adam copied it verbatim. But I think, if anything, we're... (laughs) You're doing a cover. Your show is a cover. Exactly. We're covering... Cover comedy? It's It's a tribute. It's an honor. (laughs) No, nothing against it. It's it's a great show. It's just not something that I watch regularly or anything like that. And And it's funny to me. More likely, we're all copying... Seinfeld, you know, that format of a depraved female character <laughs> with three fucking doofus dudes is. But, but, but truthfully, but I didn't just, know, but none of us went in. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, it's like no one's everything's been done. Everything's mm-hmm. been invented, you know, but like truthfully with Seinfeld and with Simpsons, what I think we all find is that there's the building out of the world. And we all enjoy that a lot more. Like we have a character named Dan Trebin, who's just like a creepy science teacher. And he's always like scraping off roadkill because the school can't afford things for people to dissect. He's just a creep and he's a tiny character. But we like love writing for that character. And we love writing for Tammy. And we like writing for Rory Scovel's principal Quinn character. It's just like there's the three guys and the girl. And that's the big, you know, four. But then there's this world that builds out of it, and I, I find I enjoy writing for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I think the acid test for those other characters is if you can imagine that spinoff of them. Mm-hmm. Like we have a character Rod <laughs> oh, by yeah. Kyle and we have done so much brainstorming on his spinoff show that does not exist and will not exist. <laughs> hey, but like it's going to yeah. exist. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's when is when you're onto something is when it's not just a supporting character who pops in every now and then to say something, but you're like, oh, I want to see them and their own show that would be so great and and truthfully not i love it's always sunny but and and they have lots of weird characters as well but what i think we've done well is is turn smoot high school into a character and like smoot is this inherently inferior shitty school that attracts the worst of the worst and you know high school is such a good setting because you can pull in characters from every walk of life the students the parents the janitors the administrators and i think that smoot being such a failure of a concept is a really funny idea that's mm-hmm. allowed our world to grow. And it, and it pays dividends, too, in that once you establish that the world is like that, you can introduce another character, and just as soon as they walk into that faculty lounge, you know, like, oh, there's going to be a twit, there's something off with this person. It might, it might take a while before, you know, right. it's revealed, but... It, it's like The Office, like, was it Dunder Mifflin or whatever? It's like, you know that whoever winds up working at Dunder Mifflin is probably a misfit in some, right. in some capacity. Something went wrong in their life that they've landed at this place, yeah. and I think Smoot High School is kind of kind of that. That's great. Um, let's let's talk about. Uh, let's go back to the Amazon uh, era. What is it? What do you think people were responding to in the web series? That they were led to that. We pitched stuff. the web series as a show. It was a fictional behind the scenes of our live show, mm-hmm. and we played these like terrible versions of ourselves. And we'd pitch it, and people would be like, "These characters are funny, but." This, we don't like the show idea. It's dumb. So give them a different job. They're like, no one's, no one's making shows about comedians. And then there's like <laughs> there's always a new right. show about a comedian. Um, and so always guess the marketplace. Is what yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always write to That's specifically okay, what no. people are buying. Um, <laughs> so we gave them jobs uh, in a high school, and um, 
and that that was the Amazon time. But I think they just responded to the characters mm-hmm. um, in that the characters are funny first and then like dramatic second. The show I, is. I also think that because of our stand-up background together. And because those characters were exaggerations of ourselves, that we were also playing on stage. Like when we do the mm-hmm. Grolics, the three of us go out and host, and we kind of go into those characters. I think we'd spent years indeliberately honing the way we relate and try to like become do humor. Mm-hmm. So I think once we put that on the on the screen in, a, in the web series, people were like, "Oh, these guys already have a sort of inherent rapport." And I think I think people responded yeah, that, to that. that definitely. Yeah, I, I think helpful. I think it was just that that it. Um, that there wasn't even for a web series I felt like people believed the characters that we were playing and mm-hmm. I think it didn't we didn't seem as forced um, that it didn't it seemed like we were just playing ourselves in these because we didn't know how to act so yeah <laughs> <we> <laughs> yeah that's that's been that's the hardest part I think the writing part everybody you know we we all kind of had been working on that the actual being in front of a camera on a on a set is a whole different thing, but I, I think r- when um, when we were first approached about developing this as an idea, f- it was just completely random. We had posted it on Funny or Die. Some mm-hmm. producer um, that was a producer on Workaholics first season had said, "Had you ever thought about developing this as a show?" And we were no, you know, we hadn't. And so we just sat around for a while, and we were like, "What would we do?" And I I also think these characters. There's this all this talk now. There, my God, there's three shows with teachers on TV, let alone 50 shows about cops or <laughs> procedural shows, and everybody flips out. But I, I, we literally, we have no axe to grind with the show. These guys could have been real estate agents. Did, and that's, yeah, we that, went yeah. through, like, used car salesmen, real estate. Right. Like, we went through all these jobs. And um, I think that's part of the reason why it worked is these characters just really, the world wasn't, didn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. The characters could have just been in in any environment, and I think from a TV perspective, and I'm not obviously I've never done development or anything like that, but I think that that's probably what you look for is just where can you put these? Are they interchangeable? Could you put them anywhere? And right. yeah. well, then but you for the record, got oh. to build the world around them, exactly, yeah, sort of Springfield around them, absolutely. Right. And it was cool that our first opportunity was with Amazon, and they gave us this little to us. $50,000 at that time. It was all the money. It was we the got money. all the money <laughs> in the world for our show. To them, they were yep. developing six, and they're like, these three dipshits from Denver, <laughs> like, it'll cost us nothing, yeah. and we'll look they're cool doing for it doing it. for sandwiches. It. Yeah, and then, but that allowed us to just continue our trajectory of doing it on our own. They never flew out and monitored the, anything. They yeah. just called in they a just cut ton the check. of favors in Denver. Yeah. yeah. And we did. Jeff Bezos that day shot down <laughs> $50,000 worth of drones in his backyard. <laughs> and we're all pumped like, Oh, I remember I was like, they gave us when I showed up, <laughs> I called my wife the first day we were shooting. That was the I, entire budget. 100%. Yeah. That That's was, insane. And yeah. when the first shot we were doing was in a house and we were shooting a scene, with my character where I'm at home and uh, I walked in and there were sandwiches and but it was not it's not what craft services or catering is uh, to this scale but I was like I called Crystal and I was like they have food here and there's like people I don't recognize (laughs) seeing like one big light was enough what yeah (laughs) where's this big light from (laughs) did that did it change anything I mean all of a sudden it's a 
sort of a real thing. Someone else is paying for it. Yeah, no I don't. What I don't. Was. I really don't think it did. I mean, we treated it. The Nix brothers had done film shoots, so mm-hmm. they kind of lended an air of professionalism. Evan Nix worked for a, a film production company that Image Brew that wound up being the production company on that thing. So they were like, "All right, here's your light guy. Here's your makeup. Here's your hair." And they like stuff we had never even thought of. But and so the many of those people of were already ex- our friends. Was exactly so, like the right. web series. Yeah, and, and then yeah, they knew the web series. They yeah, we'd already guys. worked with the Nix Bros. Yeah. We'd already the, the guy, the boom operator, was our boom operator when we were goofing around on the weekends. So and I all. think I think we surprised Amazon with how well it did because all the ratings they put out six episodes for a month mm-hmm. and ours was like the highest rated wow. and it had all these like great accolades and we were like stunned watching this. I remember Ben and I were in. Portland at Bridgetown, at the yeah. Bridgetown Comedy Festival. I think you were there too, but Ben and I were sharing a room the day it came out, and we're just watching and like watching the reviews pour in. We were like, "This is all fucking good," and we were just blown away by yeah. it. Yeah, was um, there after delivering that pilot? Was it was the initial order just for a pilot? Just it was just pilot. that it was like a contest. It was like they had six. Right. I think it actually turned out to be eight, but there was a handful of pilots. And then they were they showed everyone them and they were like you give us the feedback and then we'll 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 make the ones you want to see. Yeah. Um, was, what was that John Goodman Alpha show? House, Alpha House. Which, yeah. It was yeah. sort of that first wave. And betas, betas yeah. with John Daly. And so yeah, yeah it was, exactly, so it was, it was more wave. of a contest vibe um, more than anything. But there was no they never explained <laughs> the how rules. It, it wasn't like it wasn't based on votes or ratings. <laughs> so the contest was. I'm not sure how they judge the contest <laughs> in the end, but um, yeah, it was this, it's a Kafkaesque. Contest. <laughs> it was on notability of cast. I think right. is what the contest was judged on. It might be on what you buy on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> personally, our no, fans a no, lot of candy, <laughs> a lot of candy getting mailed to their house. Sure. Uh, so after you, after that pilot, and you got the order for five more. Did that change anything in the writing for you? Then it became much more legitimate because we had just written that one script, right. which you know was the pilot, and now they had ordered six more scripts, just the scripts. And so now we were doing note calls with people mm-hmm. from Amazon. And yeah, we had to think about what would carry over story-wise, right. like how serialized is this, sure. things like that. So um, how did you, what did those discussions look like? Well, uh, everyone involved was pretty new to it, with the, except we were, we were working with... Kristen Zollner, who's now She's at, Netflix, at Netflix, but she was helping us, and she was great. She was like, yeah, she was, she was awesome. so helpful. She was the Amazon side of that relationship, mm-hmm. but she was very helpful and, and helped us work with it. And then all of us, it was just like kind of just learning yeah. through trial and error, hanging out in each other's living rooms with our laptops, just like getting it done. We would pitch ideas, and you know, here's what this episode, here's you know, here's what the A, B, and C plot of that story is um, I think we focused at first on not wanting a show that we didn't want the show to be serialized in any manner that Mm -hmm. you could step in at any point in the season and pull one episode out. And we tried to do that with the pilot episode that it, it wasn't an origin story. It just started on any given day in the school. And uh, so I think we would sit down, we would brainstorm, we'd find the big broad stroke type beats and write them down. And then we had six episodes to write. Each of us broke away, wrote two episodes and then came back and then we would try to match our dialogue yeah. and read through and it. Amazon was pushing us to like go for it push the envelope but get go as crazy as you want to go what did that mean to them 
And what did that mean to you? I think to them it meant go, it's always sunny, go the way of the league, feel free to be as crass and as blue. And since and it was online, it could basically be rated R. It was, it was like, yeah, anything, um, anything goes. And to us it meant that as well. I mean, you can, you tell a comic you can be R-rated. <laughs> we're like, we're very happy doing that. But uh, I think we also just wanted to make it unique. I think our goal was to make it unlike anything. And we were, at the time, we were going to shoot in Denver, so we were trying to make it very kind of specific to a place. Um, but that all changed. <laughs> but I think even now that it's untrue, it still has retained, um, it, it is still, this, this upcoming season is, there's so many like shocking moments where I'm like, I've definitely never seen that before yeah, on TV. That you is know, true. like how those Christopher Nolan Batman movies, people can't believe they're not rated R. Like in their mind, they are rated R because of, but they're not rated R. Right. They're rated PG 13. <laughs> and I feel like our show is, is similar in that. That's like the most pretentious comparison. No, I love ever. it. We're the Christopher but, Nolan yeah, movie. But like, <laughs> like when I watch, I'm like, is this rated R? Like, but it's not. It's not. It's been sort of deftly uh, put into a TV MA mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's, bracket. It, it's, I'm just th- putting this together in my head right now. It's so interesting because then we went and we were True's first like uh, scripted. Mm-hmm. It seems like we were all these... First, we were just doing it on our own, so we do whatever we want. And then we're Amazon, do whatever you want. And then True's kind of like, hey, set the tone, do whatever you want. So we've been able to just kind of huh. keep pushing it in our... And not even just cheesy talking points. We've been pretty lucky to just organically have creative yeah. freedom from in every step of this process. Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, <laughs> along the way, you know, even Kristen Zollner was giving notes and their thoughts and, and I think even true TV, you know, I mean, obviously they have notes. Yeah, we do get notes ideas. just to be, yeah, here's a blank but, check. Yeah. That's certainly not what it is, but I, I think they've definitely, I mean, there are times where we pitch things to them or, you know, we sent them a script, and I was like, I'm not going to. Right. They're never, and they were like, hilarious, we love yeah, there were things that we would write, and we'd be like, well, it's never going to get in, but we'll <laughs> change ma- it after they give us the notes. Sure. And then it's like, oh, they, that didn't get changed. <laughs> we're going to actually have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, we'll mention, or like, just as an example, we'll do that in one episode. The whole episode will be built around something crass, and then the note will be like, do you think people will remember who Gallagher is? <laughs> like, we'll have a reference to Gallagher. And they'll be like, that's a little outdated of a reference. <laughs> you know, so there's like... And we'll be like, here's his Mark Maron. Listen, it's, it's current. <laughs> um, so there are things like that. I think they're they're more concerned a lot of times with relevance, you know, and it doesn't play as feeling fresh and new mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, this season is... <laughs> I don't know. There are some things that I, my character said that, it, yeah. You, you know what's a, something I, I would want listeners to learn that was helpful to us? Like in the first Amazon version, we had the Abby character. It was played by Nikki Glaser, and, and me and her, it was like a love interest thing. And I was like going for the girl. And just because, as t- just because we thought that's what you had to do. Like we had this conception of like television. It's like, well, there's got to be some romantic angle. And I don't know why any of us thought that, but we just like, you see it so much, you figure it has to be that way. And then by the time we got to true, we're like, let's not have any romantic angle at all. Let's just have her be one of the friends from friends. And I think that, and as three white dudes writing for a woman initially, now we have women writing for our show, but when it was the first pilot was just us three writing. 
I, that really triggered something for us where we're just like, oh, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's this inherently sexist thing where you're and like, she, that you gotta be a love interest. That character but, in the Amazon one, like, lived in the library and would just be visited by Adam's character, it seemed like. She's <laughs> my like, libido would, like, stroll I, yeah, in every couple yeah. of scenes, flirt with her and stroll out. But then once we made her just one of the gang, it was like the character really took off for us. It, it sounds like, even when we say it, I want to punch us in the face (laughs) because it sounds so fucking obvious but there is a you when you start writing you focus so hard on writing your own character because that's Mm -hmm. hard enough and then you start trying when i was writing scripts you know i'm walking away with two scripts and i have to write in their boys that's that's hard enough servicing the three main characters Mm -hmm. and so i think for me the the abby character became she was more of a peripheral character in the first one. It was more like just something that 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 the Lauren character, that Adam's character, she was somebody that he would butt heads against or whatever. It, and I think when we went to True, when True picked it up, they really wanted a fourth um, full-time like, female voice, female voice mm-hmm. in the show. And I think that that's... Because I, I don't think it's as simple as... You know, when when Nikki Glaser was playing it, she was she wasn't in the whole show. She wasn't. It was a much more. Yes, Sirius regular. So and I think when True picked it up, they were like, we do want a series regular that is female Mm -hmm. and a strong female character in it. So that's when we were like, we should we need to have female writers to do that. Like, it's just I don't even want (laughs) to try to attempt that and fail miserably at it. You know what I mean? So, and we, now we have, we definitely all have a, a really uh, good grasp on, on the character and Maria Theris. She's the a, worst. Uh, she yep. is. <laughs> in, nope. In, you said it. Next, next question. Um, how did you guys start to pull out the comic aspects of that character? You know, of this, her this was character? the character you're creating sort of from whole cloth. I mean, she had sort of a, uh, a predecessor, but this is a new character for True. We had for a while. She had like a, a there was a brief run where she was a very specific character. She was like a big nerd, like a Comic Con nerd, and like she had a very she was very um, nailed down into a, a specific character. And we and we ditched that pretty quickly. It was I, during the pilot phase. We were yeah. like, this just isn't working. It, it didn't seem hollow. It seems unnatural. Um, and what Maria's super helpful work? too in that she plays. Her like natural um, energy and mm-hmm. and sort of she has this sort of um, like optimism that even in like the the worst case scenario she she sort of just has it and I think it's that comes out naturally and that is that is informed that character a lot too and mm-hmm. that she's very I- idealistic and so now we're like oh well now we know how to write to that character how she's actually being played. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me with that character, it seemed like I think it was she's getting she's better this season than season one. I think we just kind of learned everyone, or at least all three of our characters, are like barely hanging on by a thread. And for some reason, I think just because we were guys writing for women, we were like, well, she's got to be a little bit wiser or know a little bit more than us or just be different. And then at some point, we realized, no, not at all. That's almost like more sexist to assume that. Let's get her dirty. Let's get her in the mud. Let's have her falling apart. Let's mm-hmm. like just making her like us was kind of for me the the light bulb that went off. Yeah, and I think after the pilot, what to what Andrew said that I think also, I, I, and I can't speak for other writers or anything, but I, I think once you see what uh, a character, 
what the actress or actor brings to that role and what where their strong points informs how you write them because you you start writing and you think well, man she, she is really strong doing this like that's and maria plays awkward so well mm-hmm. and i think what we found is that she plays um screwing up or being awful when it's all born out of the best intentions mm-hmm. like she's really trying to do something right and then she just takes that right way too far and that's where we found that maria really shines when she's just wants this somebody to pay attention to her and to do the right thing that's when she would really like the, the scene she, would come alive. She sounds like Fairbell, and she also yeah. need and she also needs a logical reason to hang out with our three characters because <laughs> our three characters are generally mean to her. Like that's their, their relationship is is combative. So they're like, so it's like, well, logically, why are the four of them often right. sitting at the same table? And so we're like, well, she needs to be a bottom feeder in that social strata too like you you sit at the lunch table you can sit at not at the one that you want to <laughs> yeah. sit at there's so, a lot of cool kids table yeah. stuff going so, on so so can't that that is sort of an informed it too and that way we get the fun of them not getting along but it also is mm-hmm. she's not like a successful right. character in that world because then you'd be like she would never she's not even going to give them the time of day right right we always talk about how the extra teachers that you don't see in the <laughs> they're like they don't talk just the people in the background they're just normal right. good teachers they're amazing <laughs> they, but we're the fuck-ups right so inherently none of those people even want to talk to, <laughs> right. to our characters did you guys as the season went on uh you know and, and we're sort of talking about the true tv seasons as the season went on did you hit on a formula did you hit on a structure that worked for writing the show like, like just a process of how we would write yeah. each episode i think that's i mean just it's still something that we're refining we're always working on that i think this season what we did um, because Dean Laurie was the showrunner for the last two seasons and uh, Joey Slayman, they both, both she and Dean worked on it, Arrested, and they came with the format that they had used, which mm-hmm. is we spend, you know, the first few weeks of every season, three weeks or so, just not pitching story, just pitching ideas. Mm-hmm. Here's an episode where this happens. Here's this, this, this. And we write them out on whiteboards around the room. And then, um, you know, our script assistant, Ian, will put them all into a, into a, you know, into a, some sort of word document. And then we just start piecing together episodes, you know, so it would be like, okay, well, this is Fairbell's A plot. How could we get the seemingly completely different B plot to connect somehow. And that was how they did it in Arrested. Except they did it with like C, D, E's and F's. Yeah, yeah. Too. yeah. But they also had the luxury of having a, a narrator. Over that would, yeah. yeah. And, and so without narration, we, we can't do Oh, they do told us whole, horror stories about that. It's and like, we also don't do cutaways. Yeah. Stylistically, we're like, we don't want to be a show that does cutaways. Mm-hmm. Not that I have nothing against them. They're great, but it seems like a lot of shows use cutaways, and I can see why. They're both funny, Hilarious. and you can shoot a, a story item in there. Um, but we don't do cutaways on our show, and we've mm-hmm. we've held pretty fast to that rule. So that, again, we have to like actually thread the, the storylines together. Yeah, and I think with... Once we started doing that, then then we spend once we have the beats, then we 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 take every 
every character up on the whiteboard, what are their scenes throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then we go through and we room write a a, a full detailed outline. And our outlines Um, are so detailed that, I mean, it's basically done at that point. It just has to be reformatted. Uh, And then then we do hand it off to a writer who will put their, they'll tweak it a little bit. And we do that 13 times and then we all just (laughs) have hollow sunken vacant eyes and hate life and uh, off we go. Time to shoot for four months. Yeah, I think that that's the part that I wasn't prepared for of the whole process is I was always the I was like, man, being in a writer's room with your buds and hanging out. It's I mean, (laughs) way more long and grueling. And I'm naturally I mean, our dynamics, thankfully, we much like I think that's part of the reason why we don't hate each other yet. Um, I mean, I dislike them strongly, but no, I mean, I think part of the reason why this has worked out to this point is that we have different attributes and different strengths that we carry into the writer's room. And, uh, so you've also got more writers, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. The room's seven people. Yeah. We have, uh, to shout, shout them out. Chris Mars and Gregory, Joey Slayman, our writer's assistant, Ian McLeese, they're all awesome. And Dean, our showrunner. Mm-hmm. So. They don't listen to this. There's <laughs> <laughs> more to get them work when they get a season three. <laughs> and none of their friends do. <laughs> no. um, let me wrap up uh, just by asking you guys, uh, and we'll start with you, what you are watching on television these days. You've wrapped up. You're not shooting right now, so you can watch a lot of TV. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, what are you watching and enjoying? I've been binge-watching Narcos on yes. Netflix, and it is... D- destroying me. I, I, I'm almost done. I'm almost done with it. I've watched two seasons in like three days. Um, but that show's amazing. And comedy wise, most recently I watched Baskets. I know I'm very late uh, getting on that, but I, uh, I watched Baskets and it is so, it was so amazing. It was like, it was just similar to Master of None where I was like, oh, it like, I, I love our show, obviously, but I was like, geez, like what these guys are doing. They, they have like a, uh, I don't know. It's like so <clears throat> cinematic and tragic, and I don't know. I love I love that show. Great. Um, I'm trying to think what I've been watching. I've been watching. I watched all of Narcos. I started watching Marco Polo. I've been watching that just because of its sheer budget. Because uh, Netflix made me watch it next. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it's huge. I mean, I couldn't believe the budget in that show. Um, Comedy wise, I don't really. I wish I could say I watched a lot of comedy TV shows. Well, there aren't many with big budgets. No. <laughs> I, I no. understand you only watch for budgets. <laughs> I watch for budgets. He's a budget for this guy. Listen, $45 million or under, I'm not interested. Interest. Wait till Westworld <laughs> starts. Make America great again, guys. Trump oh, 2016. Again. I'm telling you guys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Take no. off that hat. Um, but uh, I, I think if I watch comedy, I, I've been watching comedy with my son. Mm. And so my son and I watch The Simpsons. I, I love The Simpsons, so we go back and we watch old episodes and things like that. Great. Um, I just watched Atlanta. I thought that was fantastic. I was pretty into that. I like these new kind of auteur shows where they let it be more cinematic. I, I, and I think they're the type of thing you get once you have a proven hit or two under your mm-hmm. belt, and then you get the freedom to make those sort of dark, cool shows. And then I watched The British Bake Off, and it's, it's amazing. It's the best. Show. It's the best. Like <laughs> I'm so used to cutthroat, cutthroat food reality TV competition, and everyone's just so nice, it's gentle. And there's not even prize money. It's just it's just to win. <laughs> How it's American the honor is a of it. statement? Yeah, it's like it's wow. Like, this what's is the just, budget on it? This what's is the what's the British per episode off? budget? Four hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> no pounds, but it's pounds. And they not film accurate. in these like they set up a tent in these like genteel rolling fields. I'm like, oh, this is what season are you watching? 
Uh, my fiance just queued it up. It's uh, season two. We're oh, it's just the watching. ones on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah, we just god! Watched it. This is great. like Top Gear for millennials, dude. That's what uh, it is. Great British so Bake Off. You have no idea. <laughs> it's delightful. And there's this like nebbish British men who are just like, I've just wanted to bake my whole life, and they're like, well, and now you're baking, Nigel. It's like just the sweetest. We're watching Narcos. <laughs> dude, where do I get that Bolivian bullion from, <laughs> guys? Uh, Thank you for being here. Season two, October sixth on True TV, and uh, season one's on Hulu right now. Oh, that's right. If they yeah. want to binge to prepare, yeah. which they on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. God forbid you get behind. Yeah. <laughs> There's deep mythology on this. Yeah, show exactly. To keep up with. Uh, thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com.